Don't make me turn this podcast around. You're listening to the Reno Dads podcast. We're dads talking about dad stuff. We're doing the dad thing in the biggest little city in the world, Reno, Nevada. But we're talking about things that all dads and parents can relate to. We'll share fatherly war stories, discuss manly things, and even get into the tender moments of fatherhood. We want you to be a part of the conversation, so join us and listen in. Oh, and be warned, dad jokes ahead. All right, welcome back to the next episode here of the Reno Dads podcast. It's Jonathan here again, and uh, I have a special guest this week on this episode. Um, We have Adam Hines with me. He is the Director of Clinical Communications at REMSA, and we wanted to, like we've done in the past, we want to talk with dads who are in the community doing great stuff for us here in the northern Nevada area, and welcome, Adam. Good afternoon. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm glad you could come in. So um, I'm relatively new to uh, to Reno and Northern Nevada. I've only been here, I keep saying relatively new, but then I meet people. I mean, people are coming here in droves, apparently. Um, but I'm re- relatively new, only about three, three and a half years in. So what is uh, what is REMSA and what do we, you know, what do we you know, expect from REMSA? What's the, what are the services? You know, REMSA has been in the community since 1986. Um, and most notably, and, and probably the majority of folks that live in Washoe County know us because we have uh, the ambulance service contract. So we respond to 911 calls. Um, what's interesting, and especially when we have somebody, a guest that comes over to REMSA, is uh, that's one piece and obviously a major piece of what we do. Sure. Uh, but um, really, REMSA is kind of uh, starting to be an integrative healthcare partner in our region by not only being the ambulance transport and uh, EMS provider, but uh, it also has an arm which is air medical, which is care flight. We have an arm that is um, our community health arm that goes out and sees patients and tries to work with uh, healthcare partners and physicians to try and keep patients from being admitted to hospital. Uh, as well as community outreach programs such as, um, you know, a, a babysitting class, CPR class. Right, right. You know, every uh, 23 minutes in Washoe County, somebody is being trained by REMSA uh, in CPR. Okay. And so is it a uh, is it a, a public service in the sense that it's part of the government? Or, I mean, how, what is it, an agency? Or how does it, you know, what is it sort of organized? How is it organized? So essentially, we're over, overseen by the Washoe County Health District. Okay. We are a public utility model. So essentially, we have a contract that has some pretty strict um, uh, parameters as far as our, our response time, what we're going to do for the community, mm-hmm. and then our responsibility to, to meet those is over, overseen by our board of directors um, as well as the Washoe County Health District. Okay. And how do you interact with folks like, say, the sheriff? I had uh, uh, Sheriff Balaam in here uh, on the pod this week, or he he was uh, pretty recently on. How do you guys interact with the sheriff? So those are all, you know, we kind of refer to them as our community response partners, Mm -hmm. whether that be fire, uh, law enforcement, the hospitals. um, And we meet with them regularly. Um, to ensure that, because there's a lot of overlap, right? right? When we respond on a call, whether it be a traffic accident, whether it be a behavioral health emergency, we're responding with these these folks, these mm-hmm. men and women, and uh, it's a collaborative effort. How long have you been with REMSA? 17 years. Wow. So is that since the beginning? Am I, I can't do the math. So how long is it? No, it's not. It's just, 86 is much longer than that, right? Yeah. I was, I was born in 1982. So, oh, so you've um, been four. Was no, that, that wouldn't work. I can't do the math. Sorry. <laughs> math class is hard. Yeah. No, I've been uh, 17 years and kind of, I started from the ground up. I initially mm-hmm. was an EMT and I worked on the ambulance and I became a paramedic. I went to paramedic school while I was uh, at the University of Nevada, finishing my undergraduate. And uh, 
became a supervisor, a training officer, and now the director. So do you guys do um, sort of volunteer or what kind of EMT training is there? I, I, I've lived in communities where sort of high school students uh, who are really interested in the field can get field uh, experience and trained and work and maybe even ride along with uh, the EMS or services like this. Um, I don't know. I've, I've, I haven't really encountered that here very much in Reno. So what, what kind of services are, are available for that or people who are really interested, say, students or, you know, you know, kids who are really very, very focused on sort of medical or maybe even, uh, you know, paramedics type of thing. Yeah. So like I said, you know, initially is this kind of that entry level, which is CPR, basic first aid mm-hmm. uh, for those babysitters out there. We offer that class, which right. really helps. Yep. Um, and then uh, we actually partner with the Washington County uh, School District and have a instructor that is in one of their technical programs that oh, okay. is able to provide that. You know, in the state of Nevada, you got to be 18 in order to be an EMT, but you can receive the training, which I obviously is useful mm-hmm. and really allows for um, people to begin to kind of understand or maybe put their toe in the water, if you right, will, right. on pre-hospital emergency care. And oh. a lot of our paramedics started that way. Yeah. I, like I said, in some of the communities I've lived in in the past, I lived in Virginia Beach, and I know that there were programs with some of the high schools where um, they did, in fact, um, allow for them to be part of that because we did it as part of, I, I remember... Um, we had some young people that we worked with that, um, you know, as part of their uh, training, even before they started driving, they had to go ride along with paramedics and see the results of, you know, sort of impaired driving, for example, and things like that, that, you know, we wanted to really make an impression on them and make sure that they, you know, sort of filed that away for you know, future reference. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we do, we work with, like I said, the school district, uh, not only REMSA, but also CareFlight yeah. and uh, put on the every 15 minute um, program, which essentially, uh, I think it's every four years at each high school, they they go in and they actually uh, use moulage to make sure that patients have a realistic um, appearance. They use the medical examiner and really kind of highlight the dangers mm-hmm. of drinking and driving, typically kind of around prom. Yeah. Uh, which is very well, impactful. and in fact, my daughter um, had to go to a traffic school and they, she said it was a really effective class. And I believe some of that was some of that, you know, that content in terms of just knowing about how dangerous it is! Dangerous it is to drive. You know, not because of what you might have been doing, but you know, just the fact that there are other people on the road who have, you know, uh, um, you know, aren't following the rules. Um, so you're a dad, and it was one of the reasons why we uh, we, we we knew that you would uh, you know fit well with our um, our model here for the podcast. How are you balancing that? I mean, I know you have a couple kids, young kids at home. How are you balancing the sort of the demands of this job and the these things can be very this particular role? I'm sure is pretty demanding with demands at home. You know, it's it's extremely difficult. When I I wasn't supposed to be a dad, right? I was somebody that wanted um, to have everything in its place, which obviously doesn't happen. Uh, I like to eat food hot, go out to restaurants, fly, and uh, you know, it's been a challenge, but I wouldn't change it for anything. Uh, my wife's also in healthcare, so it helps because she understands sure. those needs. Um, you know, when I first started in the field, obviously I wasn't a dad, and uh, I saw patients differently. I saw calls with families differently. I saw um, kids that have suffered pretty significant illness or injury 
Um, and my perspective has changed because I am a dad now. I'll bet. And yeah. uh, it's really kind of helped me because I kind of holistically will look at that scene and provide care. You know, the care that I provide to the child is the same, but I can understand, I can empathize. Uh, I understand some of the vulnerability that a parent has when it's an emergency. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, it comes down to routine. I mean, I think the best thing for our kids has been a routine, right? So I get home, I take off my uniform. It's kind of family time. Until it's bedtime, and that's pretty strict. About uh, seven thirty, they go to bed, and then I am able to do work. Wait, seven thirty bedtime? I can't even remember that. Like I remember my my kids are teenagers now. So you your kids are are pretty young. Yeah, today actually is. Uh, I have a two year old that it's his birthday today. Wow! Happy birthday, Benny J. And um, my daughter is four. So you're in the thick of it, um, and. I think that it's interesting what you said about having that perspective of being on the scene and seeing the scene differently. And what ways do you think you, I mean, you said a few things about, you know, having that empathy, but, you know, can you really think about like the differences between now being a dad and what it might have been like even 10 or 15 years ago before you, you know, had the pick, you know, even that in your mind? You know, I think there's this visceral feeling that I have kind of, um, you know, you respond on a call a lot of times. Our dispatchers do a great job at getting us the information, uh, letting us know that it may be a pediatric patient, Mm -hmm. which changes your perspective. You know, the majority of time we treat adults and it's kind of it's it's uh, much easier because we see more of them. Um, And so now there's kind of this uh, internal visceral feeling that I have in my gut that says, you know, I, I you know, you see similarities. Um, you mm-hmm. know, th- this this young girl looks like my daughter or right. they're the same age. And, and it's very difficult sometimes not to bring that home. And, you know, I mean, all you do is, is you call your wife and uh, you get home and you hug your kids and tell them you love them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that for folks who aren't on the front line of public health like you guys and y- your teams, people really don't know the extent to which that can uh, impact somebody's sort of their own mental state from having seen those things. And how do you guys, uh, I mean, how does the REMSA sort of uh, you know, address that? You, you have training in-house to sort of help learn how to react to these things and not let it impact you, or, but maybe you do. Maybe you sometimes have to internalize it and have the counseling services to have those conversations so that people can really deal with it and not let it just sort of simmer or maybe not ever deal with it. You, you do have counseling for the you know, folks who are in, on, the t- uh, you know, on the staff too, I, I presume. Absolutely. And so that's actually something the nation is facing is, uh, you know, not only, um, you know, May is Mental Health Month, and I know we're going to kind of talk about that, but uh, specifically for first responders, you know, uh, we're kind of unforgotten at times. Uh, You know, we are seeing patients and scenes that are some people's worst day. Right. And then we are uh, supposed to and entrusted by the public to get back in our ambulance, our fire service unit, our police car, and go to the next call. Right. And that bravado uh, is very difficult. It's kind of like holding a glass uh, or a bottle of water. You can hold it for a certain period of time, but if you were to hold it for hours or days, it becomes extremely heavy. Yeah. So for our team, um, obviously resilience is something that we teach. Um, we um, start that from orientation. And then we have a very robust uh, employee assistance program mm-hmm. that allows for people to really, um, you know, there's there's a lot of bravado in public safety, you know, a lot of alpha type personalities, which are great, but maybe not the best internal healers. And so um, having a, also a, um, a peer support group of people that have been on scenes like that, sure. uh, I think allow for a lot better dialogue. Well, and I think... Um... And I hope for the sake of the folks who are on the staff, I mean, this is something that 
we're talking about in Reno Dads a bit, um, in that there's a, a type of masculinity, you know, without using the word toxic so much, you know, that sort of says that men aren't supposed to share their feelings and they're not supposed to talk about what is bothering them. And that sort of leads to down the path to some very destructive behaviors. And I think if you have a, an environment that is open and allows people to be vulnerable and say when something really does bother them in, you know, hopefully in REMSA, this is, you know, the thing that you're sort of striving for, which is not just that you have all these support mechanisms, but that there's an, in fact, an atmosphere of it's okay. If you, you know, come off a call and you need somebody to talk to, like, you know, this is my experience. Like somebody senior like you could say, you know, this is my, this was my experience when I first saw something like this and I really needed somebody to talk to, or I needed to kind of get that out of my, you know, off my chest, so to speak, and allowing for that to be the to be the environment rather than somebody who, you know, like you said, the bravado that might pervade in places where it's just good for some things because you need people who are, you know, take action oriented type of people and put them on the front lines because they got to, they got to do, they got to be able to perform, but there's a point where they come back from that and they should be able to say, you know, that one was pretty tough. How do I process this? Yeah. And, we, you know, we train our supervisors. Um, you know, the, the the nice part about it is this REMSA has a medical dispatch facility that uh, provides care until our paramedics arrive. So a lot of times we have kind of a heads up and mm-hmm. we can proactively have our supervisors follow up with that crew and and check in on them and, and you know, begin that dialogue. I know from being on that side, having somebody and, you know, God bless my wife, because I, I think her being in healthcare has been extremely helpful because I can come home and I can I can speak just as I would on the front line medically, medical ease, and she understands. She's been there. She she understands that feeling, yeah. and I think that's extremely therapeutic, at least for me. Yeah, that's great. I mean, and so let's get back to the what you mentioned earlier, the mental health awareness. This month is you mentioned earlier is uh, is specifically designated for that. So, what are some of the things that REMTA is doing? Um, I think you know, you have some programs and some other things in education and outreach. So, what are some of the things that you're doing to, I guess, promote that? Well, you know, REMSA responds to about 15 to 20 calls for service every day that involve some sort of behavioral health emergency. And that mm-hmm. may not seem like a lot, but it actually is. You know, one in five Americans suffer from some sort of mental health uh, disorder. Um, and, you know, what we're trying to do is, is bring light, shed light on something that uh, is more common than we think, mm-hmm. um, provide public awareness and try and work towards destigmatization, mm-hmm. not just for um, obviously first responders, but also just the community. Right. Um, I think it's important um, for people to understand that, um, you know, for a long time, you know, if we look back mm, a couple decades ago, not too far ago, um, uh, patients that called that were complaining of some sort of psychiatric emergency. So they may have been suicidal. They may have uh, overdosed or or attempted to harm themselves. Uh, A lot of the times that would be met with law enforcement. And that really uh, pushed people to uh, not ask for help, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want their uh, police car in front of their house. Um, they don't want to be placed in handcuffs and taken to the hospital and, right. and, and feel like a criminal. And so I think we've worked really hard nationally and specifically locally to work with our partners. Uh, the MOST team is a great example of uh, mm-hmm. really the, the police department uh, identifying that mental health and behavioral problems are a significant concern in our community. And working with a social worker and especially trained law enforcement officers, they can uh, make a difference and really 
you know, th there is a, a, a increase in calls the emergency departments are seeing uh, with patients. And so it's important um, that we try and get people to the right resource at the right time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's what we're doing is, is working mm -hmm. with those partners. Well, and, and mentioning partners, you know, we had the sheriff on, um, Sheriff Balin was here uh, on the podcast I mentioned. And he, um, he did talk about the fact that in the detention facility, there are as many as 80% of the folks who are in the detention facility on any given period are in need of either mental health or substance um, services. And that's a pretty large number. I mean, obviously that's a different population, but it does speak to the prevalence of what this type of um, service really needs to be. And I wonder what you said. Well, I mean, I think that that's a, it's a good example of where, uh, where this is definitely something to be dealt with and has, and if you're dealing with it on the, on the, again, on the front lines, the first responders before it even gets to somebody who's you know, going to be detained. Yeah, and you know we're urging the public to. Uh, obviously, we have there's community resources such as therapists, uh, physicians that can help. Uh, you know, this is just like somebody that has high blood pressure or diabetes or uh, you know coronary artery disease. It's something that uh, you definitely can have a conversation with a physician or healthcare provider. They can provide either uh, psychotherapy or medications, and you can really improve the quality of life that you have. And so, um, you know, don't hide in the shadows. Don't be fearful. Don't be the person that, um, you know, suffers in silence uh, because uh, you may be scared. And, mm -hmm. and that's really kind of what we're trying to promote. Um, and, and in addition, if those people... Uh, or patients in our community that get to the point where they are at imminent harm to themselves or somebody else. Uh, you yeah. know, there's a national suicide uh, prevention line that will, will, will help them. But, um, you know, typically that's a, a medical emergency, and that's when our paramedics come out yeah. um, and provide care. And, and, you know, they're looking for certain things, right? It starts with a good assessment because you can have patients that um, present with a behavioral emergency mm -hmm. and may be suffering from something that's underlying, um, an underlying medical cause that we can treat. And that's right. something like hypoglycemia, trauma, infection, sure. intoxication. Um, but uh, the, the big thing for that is, is if, if, if you're in that position, call for help. Right. Yeah. And I think um, just talking about it the way we have over the past couple weeks. And, and I think also Reno Dads has been trying to have the conversation around mental health and also just mental well-being, that it's something that you you do have to attend to. And it's something that we feel strongly about having the conversation openly. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons why we want to have these conversations here on the podcast. We write about them on the blog and we definitely want to see and make sure that the community knows what's available to them in terms of resources, what's available to them in terms of um, support, because um, we don't want to have anybody you know, feeling like they're out there by themselves. And I think having, even having the conversation out loud is like, oh, I, or writing about it, it's like, oh, I didn't realize that somebody else has gone through that too. Um, it's like that, you know, being a dad anyway, like, and that's one of the reasons we talk about it as much as we do on, on the podcast and in, in the writing that we do, because we don't want dads to feel like they don't have a resource and, or families for that matter, but with specifically dads, because it's, you know, like I said before, it's, it's very common for men to clam up and be uh, you know, try to be manly, whatever that means. Yep. 
I totally agree. <laughs> Um, so let's see, what are the, what are the, some of the other programs? I think we mentioned a few uh, before we got started, but I know that there was at least one other that I wanted to make sure we didn't uh, overlook. Month of May has some, a couple of other things that's going on that are going on. Yeah, so the month of May, you know, is uh, busy with awareness. And so one of those things is stroke awareness. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, stroke is something that is one of the top disabilities as far as uh, conditions in which people can have. And so the things in which we can do to pr- try and minimize that and successfully treat patients usually um, uh, surround early recognition and early treatment. Um, And it starts with kind of, um, you know, putting out what we call a fast exam, Mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, you know, those signs of of somebody that's having a stroke usually start with either some sort of speech problem, Mm -hmm. a facial droop, or something in the face that is abnormal. Some patients cannot walk well or, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know it's, it's usually what we call unilateral, so one-sided. Okay. Um, and it's important when those symptoms uh, occur to contact 911. Oh, okay. Um, and it's best to go through the 911 system uh, because uh, our paramedics can come out, they can provide an assessment, they can appropriate you to the uh, correct hospital mm-hmm. so that um, you can really maximize the potential for treatment. Um, and that starts in the field with them actually calling ahead, getting the team ready so that we can take you directly to the CT scan. Right, right. Um, because time is neurons. Oh, I've never heard that before. Yep. Time is neurons. I'm yep. going to have to write that one down. Um, and um, how are you um, getting the word out around these uh, you know, teaching folks and getting you know, folks aware of what these symptoms are? I, I've seen some things out online in different places, and I've, I've definitely heard that FAST uh, acronym before, which remind me, what is that again? So it's, uh, it starts with facial droop, mm-hmm. okay, so, or, or face, um, it, it um, arms, uh, speech, and then time. Okay. Is Washoe Public Health going out? And uh, they're also, I, I imagine, working on the education and outreach and you know, getting the word out on these different um, programs. I, I presume you're, you guys are supporting them as well. Absolutely. So you see on social media, you know, a lot of the folks that we are, and it may not even be the patient, you know, the patient population is is different usually in strokes, but we're seeing younger and younger people suffer from strokes because of either high blood pressure, lifestyle, obesity, uh, diabetes, all of those are risk factors for stroke. Um, so it's important um, that we support those efforts, push it out through social media. In addition, what it does is it allows for some of those family members to be able to be kind of the first to recognize. So when, right. you know, your, your grandmother or your mother calls you and it says, well, grandma's not speaking clearly. I'm concerned. Mm. And we get those calls where somebody will have a conversation with somebody and say, it's just they weren't acting right. We'll go out, check them out. And sometimes we'll find that these patients are experiencing a stroke. In addition, I think it's important for the public to know that sometimes these symptoms will resolve. And there's a couple things that could occur. It could be something as simple as just a complex migraine, which is best case scenario. Um, But it also can be something called a TIA, which is a transient ischemic attack. Mm. And that a lot of the times is a precursor to uh, a full-blown stroke. And so it's important, even if symptoms resolve, that you uh, get care. Well, this is really good. I, I'm really glad we were able to chat about um, some of the uh, programs. I think that, um, you know, for me as a, as a relative, like I said, a relative newcomer, it's really good to know, like, where all the services are, who, you know, I just like to know, you know, who's in the community doing different things. And, and, and again, you know, knowing that there are dads out there doing this, um, this sort of service, is really uh, encouraging, and I know that um, 
people here in Reno are counting on you guys. How many calls a day do you guys answer? I mean, is it a pretty large number? So our dispatch center usually fields about uh, 600 calls, inbound, outbound calls a day. Okay. Uh, our units typically respond around 200 times, mm-hmm. with 30% of those being canceled. You know, a lot of people um, believe that everybody gets transported to the hospital, and that's actually uh, only about 60% of what we do. Mm-hmm. We provide um, free to the community which is, I think is important, uh, the opportunity to come out, evaluate a patient, and sometimes they just don't want to go to the hospital. Or, you know, we get called by people that are passing by and they say, oh, that person looks ill or they're unconscious on a bench. And we go out and uh, we make contact with them and we find that they're mm. just napping. <laughs> right. Well, and then you said a certain number of those, a certain fraction of those really are related to mental health. And that sounds like it's, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 percent. You know, it might be as many as, as you know, more than that. So I think it's really good for us to have that conversation, and I'm really glad that we were able to do that. So all of those programs that are uh, in place, and then you mentioned uh, earlier that the number of calls to uh, for service is growing. Is that, uh, you think, in response to just the population growing? And maybe is there also, like, what's the future of REMSA in terms of like, how are we dealing with the growth of the area? Because we know that the population is increasing. Maybe, you know, it's a combination of things. I think that's a fantastic question and one that we are tasked with to to manage because as current, the healthcare system is, we have got to do something different. And so uh, there are a couple innovative ways that REMSA is currently and looking to um, uh, in the future kind of innovate what we do. And it starts with when somebody calls 911 and is identified through our medical triage process to have a no acuity or low acuity uh, medical complaint, and that would be somebody that may call with tooth pain, uh, a rash, and, and we do have people that do that. Uh, we currently are able to get them to a registered nurse who has experience and triage them to the right level of care, which many times is not an ambulance. Uh, which is an expensive resource and saves those resources so that they're available for true emergencies. Right. And maybe get them a, an Uber or a taxi to get them to an urgent care or a dentist or a primary care physician, or maybe they don't even need to be seen. Um, in addition, uh, currently in the community, we are, our paramedics are skilled and trained to evaluate patients on scene and um, determine eligibility, clinical eligibility to get them to an urgent care. So we reduce the burden on our emergency department partners. Um, and so, you know, that would be somebody that may have sprained their ankle. Um, you know, the emergency room's not going to do anything different than an urgent care, and it's accessing care, uh, the right level of care at the right cost. And so that's just good for the healthcare system in general. Right. And then I think finally, um, we are looking to innovate. Uh, towards maybe doing some physician consultation on scene. So even evaluating a patient that may have an infection um, but doesn't necessarily need to go to the hospital and having a a physician evaluate them through um, telemedicine, so an iPad or uh, some device, and be able to provide them care right in their home so they don't have to be transported, again, reduces burden on the system, is financially responsible, and uh, is what I believe is going to definitely be the supportive um, nature of future health care. Right. Well, Adam, uh, all of that is really interesting. And to me, especially as a, a, new, a relative newcomer, I, you know, I really appreciate having a, a, a little window into what's available and what the sorts of things um, – the community is doing to support again at the really on the front lines of public health. I mean, there's so much happening here in the region. We are obviously growing very quickly 
and accommodating all of this growth and figuring out where it's all headed. I mean, I really appreciate it. Um, thanks again for coming in. I think it's a it's a really good uh, topic, and I know that with the mental health stuff, we'll we'll definitely put links out there. I mean, I'm sure there's stuff on the Remso website that we can link to, and we will make sure that when we uh, you know we publish this and we get everybody oriented to it, they can find all that information out on the on the website. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Reno Dads podcast on renodads.com. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Stop by renodads.com and click on Contact Us and let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear on our show. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at renodads. And subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you'll join us here for our next episode, and we'll see you online at renodads.com. Oh,